All right. Why don't you turn to Jonah chapter 4, please? Jonah chapter 4, we're going to look at the entire chapter, verse 1 through 11. The message entitled, The Pouting Prophet. Jonah has been portrayed as the rebellious prophet of God. In chapter 1, we saw Jonah and the storm revealing disobedience and self-will. So God is pursuing the rebellious prophet. In chapter 2, we saw Jonah and the fish revealing discipline and seeming repentance. So God is preserving the praying prophet. In chapter 3, we saw Jonah and the city revealing proclamation through seeming obedience. So God is preaching through the poison prophet. In chapter 4, we're going to see Jonah and the Lord revealing resentfulness but learning. So God is preaching to the pouting prophet. This last chapter, Jonah is portrayed as the pouting prophet that unfolds for us in three movements once again. Let me read our text. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry, so he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a plan and made it come up over Jonah that it might shade, uh, be shaved for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plan. But as morning dawned, the next day God prepared a worm. And so it's, it damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind. And the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. And then he wished death for himself and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, It is right for me to be angry, even to death. But the Lord said, You have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand and much livestock? The pouting prophet Jonah unfolds in these three movements. First, we have the anger of Jonah expressed to God, verse 1 through 4. Then we have the anger of Jonah seething before God, verse 5 through 8. And then thirdly, the anger of Jonah rebuked by God, verse 9 to 11. We begin with the anger of Jonah expressed to God, verse 1 through 4. Notice in verse 1, the strong displeasure of Jonah. Listen to the words, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. Jonah was upset that the Ninevites had repented and God had forgiven them. The previous verse, the last verse of chapter 3. God relented of the judgment he's going to bring upon them because they had changed their mind about sin and God. The sharp contrast between the actions of God and the reactions here of Jonah the prophet is indicated by the word but. It's always a a contrasting conjunction. There should have been no contrast between God and his prophet. He was the mouthpiece of God. He was supposed to have the heart of God. God allows us here to have a little window to the exception of the prophets due to his heart exercising his free will. If Jonah's book would have ended in chapter 2, we would have said, great, Jonah learned his lesson automatically as a good guy. But we have chapter 3 and 4, which gives us problems. 
Now the egregious disappointment is indicated as it displeased Jonah exceedingly. The word displeased means to tremble and to quiver. He was so outraged at God's forgiveness of the Assyrians that his body physically began to shake and to convulse. Maybe you've seen a little child that gets, oh, they shake like that, or an adult that, you know, just, when you get like that, your, your body stiffens, your arteries and veins constrict, your blood pressure goes up. This is Jonah. The extent of his trembling was exceedingly, intensely. Literally, it was evil to Jonah. Wow. He's a prophet of God. He has the message of the word of God, but not the heart of God. So he considered what God is doing as evil. Woo. Notice the result being that he became angry, burned, kindled, literally. He became furious and incensed. We might say he blew his top. He lost it. He melted down. Jonah reveals certain things by his outrageous response. He revealed that his repentance of chapter 2 was not wholehearted. We can make that judgment now with certainty. He revealed that outward obedience can be used by God, but it is no indicator of proper inner attitude. The attitude of Jonah was no different at this point than it was when he first fled in chapter three, verse chapter one, verse three to Tarsish. He's in the same place. There's been no progress. What a picture of so many Christians. Standing still. He revealed a person can have a call and gifts of the Spirit and not be open to the fruit of the Spirit, agape love. Galatians 5.22. See, many people teach that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the greatest evidence, is agape love. That's wrong. The baptism of the Holy Spirit for empowerment, for enabling, Acts 1.8. The fruit of the Spirit is agape love, the motive by which we do things that God will reward us. One's the motivation that we will be rewarded for. The other one is the empowerment, the ability to do it. The gifts of God are freely given to us, not because we deserve them. So we're open to the gifts so because it gives an apparent appearance that we're spiritual. But what declares our spirituality is the heart, the motive of God's heart of love. Notice the stern accusation of Jonah against God comes in verse 2. Jonah tried to justify his sin. He did this in prayer, by the way. Listen. So he prayed to the Lord Yahweh. The same word for prayer in chapter 2, verse 1. The same covenant God, Yahweh, in chapter 2, verse 1. The one that they were in covenant with through the law. And notice he rationalized his, his obedient uh, or his disobedient, rebellious flight that took place at his first call. And he said, Oh, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish. He's justifying himself just like a little kid. Now, as parents, we understand this when our children try to turn the table. But we were there one time, so we don't allow that, and we see right through it. Well, God sees the same thing through us, and in a greater way. Notice Jonah tried to blame God for his sin, faulting his attributes. Man, you talk about being off the wall. He's a prophet of God. Listen, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. He's not praising God for this. He's faulting God for this. These attributes of God describe his character as sovereign. Exodus 34, 6, where Moses is there on the mount. Gracious, 
He showed favor to sinners. That's what the word means. Merciful means compassionate. Slow to anger, literally long nostril, indicating patience with sinners to pour out his wrath. Abundant and loving kindness, covenant word, filled with kindness and goodness. One who relents from doing harm, God expresses sorrow and reluctance to bring the judgment he was to execute unless they repent. He's reluctant. Isaiah says it's a strange way for God to work through judgment. He would much rather forgive. Then God would relent and deal with them with forgiveness because they changed their hearts and minds about sin. God didn't change his mind. They did. He remained true to his nature and his attributes. I am holy. If you don't repent, I have to judge and I will judge. If you repent, then I give you the way of forgiveness and I forgive you. So we're using anthropomorphic terms, human terms, to describe what God is doing. God relented or repented. Well, he really didn't. This man that changes and God acts on his consistent attributes and nature. He's holy. Jonah was just like Adam. You remember he said, It was the woman whom you gave to be with me. She gave me of the tree, and I did eat, Genesis 3.12. Adam blamed Eve, but since God gave him Eve, he blamed God. The woman you gave me. Adam was the first Calvinist. He blamed the fall on God. Wow. Notice Jonah was self-absorbed and selfish. This is his problem. People that are self-absorbed, they turn inward. They're always whining, always complaining. It's all about them. Whether it's good or bad, it's always about them. Notice four times the personal pronoun is spoken from his mouth, I. I've told you many times, the middle letter of the word sin is I. He saw himself as one of the elite for salvation, yet God never ignored the Gentiles. Jonah did, Genesis 12, 3, and you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God told Abraham. There are many proselytes that had come in. Uriah, the wife of Bathsheba. Rahab, the harlot. And others. Jonah was saying to God, if you wouldn't have been so gracious and forgiving them, I wouldn't have fled or be angry over your forgiveness. Doesn't that sound just like a little kid? You know, you ask, why'd you do that? Because, because it's not a reason. It's lame. Yet God had been gracious to Jonah, delivered him from the belly of the fish. Jonah is arguing against what he himself had received abundantly, God's grace. Jonah's condemning himself without realizing it. Notice Jonah reveals certain things by his justification and accusation. He revealed his failure to acknowledge his sin. That is always a detriment to you and I. When I do not acknowledge my sin, I try to justify and excuse it and blame everybody else. And he revealed that he knew his God, but wasn't becoming like his God, nor had any idea of wanting to be like his God. Wow. That's a standstill for a believer. That's no good. John the Baptist says that he must increase and we must decrease. Notice verse 3 and 4. 
the stubborn attitude of Jonah towards God is given to us here. In verse 3, the hate of Jonah had consumed him. Therefore now, O Lord Yahweh, please take my life from me. He desired death more than life. He felt as being dead while living. Been there? You do not make your decisions a believer by your feelings, your emotions, or your circumstances. You make a decision based on God's objective truth. You rebuke yourself. You correct yourself. You prohibit yourself to be carnal, self-centered. The hate of Jonah had blinded him. For it is better for me to die than to live. He's saying he had nothing to live for. Are you kidding me? He just got delivered. If he really wanted to die, why did he pray in the belly of the fish? He said death was more, had more to offer than life. They're contradictions. They're simply words to express our self-love. For people to say, oh, really? But when we hear them, we should rebuke the person. Reprove them. Bring them back to their spiritual senses. You see, the hate of Jonah was confronted by God. We're to be like the Lord. Are you going to accuse God of being uncompassionate, mean, cruel, unloving? Listen to his words. Then the Lord said, is it right for you? To be angry? The question is a rhetorical one, as you know. That is only one correct answer. The answer should be no. No. It's not right for you to be angry, Jonah. Jonah should say no. The question is a sharp rebuke to Jonah, as well as saying he had to reflect and reconsider his heart and bad attitude. Think about it. Consider what I'm saying, Jonah. Then notice Jonah revealed certain things by his hatred. He revealed he really did not want to die, as I said, or he wouldn't have prayed in the belly of the fish, first of all. And then he revealed how poison his heart had become. If you don't deal with issues, it only gets worse. Nothing goes away by its own self. You have to deal with it with God, His blood, and His Word and His Holy Spirit. Not with your ability, not with your emotions, not with your rationale or your intellect. He revealed how God honors His Word, not the man. Jonah preached, people got saved. Jonah was rebellious, half-hearted. Remember, Jesus spoke of two men who went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. And it says, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing far off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven but he beat his breast and saith, God, be merciful. Literally, propitiate me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. It's easy to forget where we come from. Through the years, we can put too much cheesecloth over our picture. When a believer harbors anger towards someone that hurt them, they turn resentful, bitter. 
It could be over something someone has done or someone has said. It could be something that has been going on for years or something that's very recent. Either way, the believer has to attempt to resolve that resentfulness and bitterness. If unable, then he must rest and trust in God. He does all he can, then he has to rest in God. Paul puts it this way in Romans 12, 17 through 19. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regards for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men, beloved. Do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. That's the difference between Xavier after being born again and Xavier before being born again. Not that you don't have the capacity, but that you restrain yourself. You do not allow yourself to go there. You turn to God. You do what you can and you rest in him. Attempts to justify ourselves and point our finger accusing others for our sin never rids us of our sin, but only makes it worse. It blinds you and I to our sin. It compounds our sin. It progresses our sin. Because sin is never static. It's progressive. Proverbs 6, 14 through 15 says, Perversity is in his heart. He devises evil continually. He sows discord. Therefore his calamity shall come suddenly. Suddenly he shall be broken without remedy. When this happens, you know that God has gone to the nth degree, the very end. No one will ever be able to accuse God, say, you were not patient enough with me. Never. The anger of Jonah expressed to God was inexplicable. Notice, secondly, comes the anger of Jonah seething before God here. Verse 5 through 8. In verse 5, the prophet Jonah waited to see if the decision of God was firm. <laughs> Who is this guy? Prophet of God. Jonah did answer God. He just finished asking him if it was right for him to be angry. But Jonah didn't answer with words. He answered, notice, with actions. Now, his answer should have been no. But his answer was yes, with actions. So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. Jonah's actions spoke louder than his words. Jonah was committed to his hatred. You was husband and wife. You don't want to deal with things your word, you do it with actions. Closing the doors. Boom, boom, boom. What's wrong? Nothing. Mm -hmm. Slam doors, this, that. Oh, wow. See, we become Jonas in a lot of different ways. He tried to make himself as comfortable as he could in his misery. <laughs> I am amazed how we complain about our misery, but we do everything to stay in it. Jonah tried to relieve himself from the heat of the day. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade. Little booth, you know, little shelter. Jonah was waiting to see if God really was going to spare the city. Till he might see what would become of the city. Forty days. Now we don't know if this is the three days preaching that he went out there or whether it was a little longer, but 40 days was the, was the mark, right? Number of judgment. So he's waiting. He's not leaving before the 40th day. He is like he's saying, I, I can't believe you forget. I'm, I'm, I'm going to just stay here. If, if you do, I, 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 that's it, man. I'm not going to talk for you. I'm not, I'm, 
Like if God is biting his nails. Jonah revealed certain things by his waiting to see if God would forgive them. He revealed his refusal to hear God. He revealed his refusal to obey God. And he revealed his refusal to be like God. He refused to have the heart of God. Wow. Notice the prophet Jonah waited under miserable conditions that he brought on himself. We, can't, we blame God and people and everything else, but we do it ourselves. Notice God dealt with Jonah by giving him some relief from the sun. And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah. That it might be shaved for his head to deliver him from his misery. Ball head, he probably has a, maybe a covering over it, but it's hot. It's, you know, you've been out in the desert. Yeah, you've been down to the Dead Sea with us and get 115 at times. It gets real hot, dry um, over in uh in the region where he's at, here in Nineveh, um, Mosul, uh, you were familiar with the city of Mosul? Well, that's, that's Nineveh, okay, today, um, from the past. And um, the plant is believed to be a castor oil plant, a gourd, a kind of a palm, and the fronds that give him some shade. Um, this is the fifth miracle, by the way. Um, and uh, the shade relieved Jonah of his misery that he brought on himself for his inner conflict and then outwardly the sun. God in his sovereign love, though the prophet is being hard-nosed, he's doing all that he can to relieve his misery inward and outward. This is our God. Now, would you say that Jonah deserves this? No way. And when I've been in this type of position, I don't deserve what God is doing for me, and yet he does it. Jonah appreciated the tree. He says, so Jonah was very grateful for the plant. This is the only time Jonah is joyful and grateful in the whole book. It's all about him. Sorrow and joy, it's all about Jonah. This revealed that both his sorrow and his joy were self-centered. Look at 7. God then destroyed the tree that brought relief to Jonah. The seventh miracle was brought to pass. But as morning dawned, the next day God prepared a worm. God had prepared the storm in chapter 1, verse 4. God had caused the sea to cease from its raging in chapter 1, verse 15. God had prepared the large fish to swallow Jonah in chapter 1, verse 17. God had saved the Ninevites in Jonah 3, 10. And God prepared a plan here in chapter 4, verse 6. And God will prepare a worm and a vehement east wind in chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. Two other ones, seven miracles. The outcome was that the plant dried up. And it was so damaged that it withered. It just died. Why did God do this? To try to reach Jonah. To try to teach Jonah. To try to revive Jonah. You as a parent will do different things to your children. First you will... Attempt to reason with them. Speak to them. If that doesn't work, then you move to the next step. If that doesn't work, you move to the next step. Every step is trying to get their attention to see they're wrong and to turn them. The castigation is not the object or the goal. The goal is reconciliation. But in stubbornness and self-rebellion, 
castigation often has to be the path by which reconciliation comes. Notice God brought a dust storm with scorching heat called a Sirocco. Verse 8. This is the seventh miracle, six for those who do not count the repentance, or seven for those who don't count the, um, um, the repentance of the Assyrian, which is a miracle, but they don't count it as one of the miracles. But that's the greatest miracle, salvation from all these other divine miracles. It says, and it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind. These dust storms are scorching heat it was dust being all through the year just unbearable maybe you've seen some of these i mean they're about a hundred feet high or more and they just come in like a wave and it just i mean you can suffocate literally go blind from the sand in your eyes the outcome was greater suffering notice for jonah and the sun beat on jonah's head so he grew faint. God is really tightening down the hatch right now. He didn't go to this step at first. This is progressive discipline. One step at a time. The response of Jonah is no better than before. Listen. Then he wished death for himself and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Man, this guy has it bad. You remember Jesus in the house of Simon the Pharisee when he went in and the prostitute came in and washed his feet with ointment and wiped them with her hair. And Simon and the others looking on him, Simon thinking to himself, if this man were truly a man of God, he would know what manner of woman she is and would not allow her to touch him. At that time, Jesus, knowing the thoughts of Simon, I believe he was looking and making eye contact with him. And he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. Simon, very pompous, said, say on, master. And I believe Jesus' eyes never left Simon. As he says, there were two creditors. One owed a lot, the other one pennies. His master forgave them both. Who do you think will love him the most? Simon, very smug, said, the one who was forgiven the most. Jesus, never leaving his eyes from the context of Simon, says, Do you see this woman, Simon? Because her sins were many. She loves much. Wow. Nailed him. See, all that Simon saw was a whore. A prostitute. He didn't see the forgiven woman. Hmm. Sometimes um, the hatred in a person's heart is so set that they are willing to live a life of misery. It is a choice, by the way. It could be over a marriage that has devastated you, maybe. And let's just say that you got the raw deal all the way. You're still not justified in your anger. Not as a Christian. It could be over a, a parent that never spends time with you because a lot of the psychology of the world has been fed in and indoctrinated to all of you who are Christians through school and everything. And people repeat, well, you know, because I didn't have a father, I don't have a right image of God. Are you that dumb? Who would ever dare equate an earthly father to a divine father? You have to be taught that stupidity. You would never think of it yourself. There's no comparison. Earthly parents can do dumb things, but my Heavenly Father would never do that. He's God. It's a non-truth. It's a big lie. It could be for something 
they're really at fault at. And what you're saying is true. But you have to deal with the issues and go to God. Yet pride keeps people from calling on God and depending on him to help them. You remember Moses in Egypt, all the plagues to Pharaoh, right? And he would do a plague, and then our Lord would say, okay, remove them, and, you know, he would remove them, and God would say when to remove them. When it came to the frogs, Moses said to Pharaoh, accept the honor of saying when I shall intercede for you, for your servants, for your people, to destroy the frogs from you and your houses, that they may remain in the river only. In other words, you tell me when this time. When do you want to remove? Listen. Pharaoh, mighty Pharaoh. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. That's us, says Jonas. We could have it fixed right now. If we allow God's heart to be ours. But we're willing to stay in that stinking situation one more day. Because of our hatred and our bitterness and our resentment. Wow. God will constantly attempt to reach us and comfort us. Even in our stubbornness. Trying to reveal to us our hearts. Trying to turn us from our blind destructiveness. Providing our needs while all this is going on. Allowing us to work. Having good health. The goodness of God. Listen to Paul as he speaks to the Gentiles about the Jews. The reverse of it in Romans eleven twenty two. Therefore consider the goodness and severity of God. On those who fell severity, meaning the Jew. But towards you, Gentiles, goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise, you also will be cut off. So Paul is dealing with the reverse of what Jonah is doing. Jonah was elite, the Jew only, not the Gentile. Now Paul is one of the Gentile. Listen, don't get cocky. God still has dealings with the Jew in the future. Wow. The anger of Jonah seethed before God. And the seething was in excusable notice thirdly in verse 9 through 11 we have the anger of Jonah rebuked by God in verse 9 the prophet Jonah is sought out by God relentlessly that he might learn what he was trying to teach him Jonah is confronted with the same question about his anger because it has not been resolved you as a parent keep on the same topic with your child until that is resolved. You don't go to move something. Okay, he won't answer me. Let's move on to something else. No, no, no. God first asked Jonah if it was right for him to be angry over the forgiveness of the Assyrians in chapter 4, verse 4. God now asked. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? I can see Jonah saying, what, what's the connection? What's the plan? <laughs> Jonah answered God. Look at verse 9. He says, it is right for me to be angry, even to death. Last time Jonah answered by his actions in verse 5. He went outside the city and sat down to see if God was going to do it. This time, Jonah answers by his words. Jonah's hate had poisoned his perspective for all of life, and he was committed to it till death, stated twice in verse 8 and verse 9. This man is committed. Look at verse 10. The prophet Jonah is brought face to face with his lack of compassion for the Ninevites. God pointed out Jonah had compassion on the plant. But the Lord said, you have had pity on the plant. You can see Jonah saying, yeah, 
Jonah had more compassion on the plan than the people of Nineveh. Jonah was more concerned about temporal things than eternal things. God pointed out that Jonah had not been uh, responsible for the plan. He makes a connection. He says, for which you have not labored nor made it grow. You didn't create it. You didn't plant it. You didn't even water it. All you, you were a leaf. You just got the benefit from it. That's the only thing you're happy about. God in his compassion for Jonah attempted to relieve his miserable condition by this gourd. God had removed the gourd to instruct Jonah. Notice God pointed out the brief existence of the plant next, which came up in the night and perished in the night. The plant had a very short lifespan. But people have an eternal lifespan. How many of you go buy a plant at Home Depot and plant it, and then on Monday it dries and you're out there doing a funeral? You're weeping. But Jonah was more bothered about the plant than the people. Today people worship animals more than people. A seal is injured. Boy, they'll petition. They'll get a million dollars. they get it healed. And then they'll let it loose and Jaws will eat it five minutes after it's out. Yet they will not object to a woman killing her baby in her womb through abortion. Wow. The word perish is the same word used for the sailors in the Ninevites, chapter 1, verse 6 and 3, 9. Notice the prophet Jonah is brought to the end of himself finally in verse 11. The final rhetorical question addressed to Jonah is in view of the insignificance of the plant and the great significance of human life. The heart of God was for the subjects of the city. Listen carefully. And should I not pity Nineveh, the great city? He's not talking about the buildings. He's talking about the people. The heart of God was for the children in the city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern their, between their right hand and their left. They're children that are probably under two years old, three years old. And then the heart of God even indicates the animals and much livestock. God cares more about the animal kingdom than we do, but he's given the animals for us to enjoy as pets to kill so we can have food and clothing at times. Not just to kill them. That's why he makes them have 10 per liter, hundreds of fish at a time, because that's the food chain. Simple. God had created all of them, and his heart was for the forgiveness of the lost Ninevites, to save them, to forgive them. This is his heart. The question is another rhetorical one with only one correct answer again. Jonah had to answer God. If God was wrong in his compassion and forgiveness or not, he doesn't get off the question. It has to be answered. Now, Jonah knew his God. As I've stated, he just was not being or acting like his God. The book ends in a rhetorical question because Jonah and every person that is a Jonah, has to answer it for themselves. The answer is yes. I believe Jonah finally got it. The proper repenting of Jonah before the Lord you have right here. 
that God is sovereign. He's gracious. And when we don't have compassion in the heart of God for sinners, regardless of who they are, when we hate the person and not the sin, then we really are doing this justice to the gospel that we're preaching. Once again, you remember the parable of the evil servant who was forgiven millions by his master, and he was released of his dead, and then he went out and found one of his brethren that owed him only pennies, and he cast him into jail. An evil servant. When one of the other servants saw what he did, he went back to the master and says, you know that guy you forgave everything to, he just threw one of his brothers in jail for doing pennies. So he recalled him. You evil servant, I forgave you everything. And he was cast in jail. This is a picture of every one of us. It's not for us to criticize these parables and these stories that Jesus gave. Because it points to the heart of man. God will use you and I. But there is no evidence that you and I are right with God. Listen to uh, Numbers twenty-two thirty-five. Then the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but only the words that I speak to you, that you shall speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. Balaam spoke God's words too. One of the most incredible prophecies about the Messiah. But he was not right with God. God's word is more important than the man or the woman. Listen to Psalm 138.2. I will worship towards your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name or honored your word above your name. You know what he thinks about his name. He's honored his word, magnified it above his name. God's love will seek to deal with your hatred and mine that will poison our lives. Isaiah the prophet gives a beautiful picture of the heart of God as he pleads with the sinner. Listen. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they should be white as snow. Though they are like red crimson, they shall be as wool. Wow. That's the offer God gives. He reasons with us. Because he's a loving, gracious God. God's love desires to save even Ninevites. And will not cease till he changes the heart of Jonas. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness or tardiness. But his long-suffering toward is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 2 Corinthians 3.9, or 2 Peter 3.9. Bottom line, the anger of Jonah, rebuked by God, was indefensible. God wins. God wants us to have his heart. Our hearts are evil, desperately wicked above all things. So we have to reckon that old man dead. Put on the new man. By the renewing of our mind. To prove what is that good except in the perfect will of God. A body, a living sacrifice. That God may be glorified. And so the pouting prophet, the anger of Jonah expressed to God was inexcusable. The anger of Jonah seething before God was or inexcusable, but the first one was inexplicable. How do you explain it? Having all that privilege? None. 
And so sitting before God, he's inexcusable because he was the recipient of all that grace and forgiveness himself. Even deliverance from the fish. And the anger of Jonah, rebuked by God, was indefensible. You just can't defend yourself before God. Not one of us. And so what, a, what an incredible book, four little chapters. Such great lessons. Next time you sign your name, put Xavier Jonah Reese. Remember, it's a potential. <laughs> Doesn't have to be a reality. Father, thank you for your grace and your love and your goodness. We love you. We thank you for your word, your grace over our life, Lord. And Father, we pray that we would be a, a loving body, Lord, to extend your grace to all. Never a permissive body, but one that is aligned with you, Lord. And so we pray for those that are here, Lord, your heart be ministered to them and revealed to them of your grace and love, and they would desire your forgiveness, Lord. As you're praying, if you're here, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. Maybe you're over the Internet. Then God loves you, and he would love to forgive all your sins and make you a child of God. He does this by grace through faith. This is your prayer. If you want to be born again to the Lord, not to us, and he's going to make that miracle right now, right where you sit. This is your prayer to him. You can repeat. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.